Dr. Mitch Glazer, uh, the president of Chosen People Ministries, one of the oldest and largest messianic missions um, in our country. He resides in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where along with his wife, he serves the ministry uh, by planting messianic uh, congregations, ministering among Russian Jews, leading and mentoring local staff, and teaching at the Charles Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies in partnership with Talbot um, School of Theology. Dr. Glazer, in his work, is also responsible for directing uh, the work of Chosen People Ministries around the world. And in fact, they're in uh, 20 different countries around the globe. And we're super excited to have you back, Dr. Glazer. Would you welcome Dr. Mitch Glazer to the stage this morning? And I'd pray for you, if you don't mind. God, thank you so much for um, your servant, Dr. Glazer. Thanks for his willingness to share his time with us here at UNW uh, this week. Thank you for the message and, and, the, and the, um, the words that he will say, and uh, may, may we receive your message today, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Shalom. You speak Hebrew, oh, that's great. Shalom's a good word. If you don't know if you're coming or you're going, you can always say shalom. It works either, either way. It means peace, and it means wholeness and completeness means all the good things actually that you and I experience in the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And so let's express some joy. The music and the worship was wonderful, but I feel like playing the piano. From Isaiah 55. Now, listen, one thing about uh, Jewish people, you have to understand that Jewish people are the only people who can be happy in a minor key. All right, so this is uh, a little song. Maybe you've heard the verse before. Anybody here ever been to a Jewish wedding? Anybody want to be part of a Jewish wedding? I've got a daughter that, no, that's okay. Let's try it. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy. All the trees of the field will clap, will clap their hands. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. While you go out with joy. You got it. You shall go out with joy, be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth before you. There'll be shouts of joy. All the trees of the field will clap, will clap their hands. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The trees of the field will clap their hands. While you go out with joy. Oh boy, that was fun. So this morning, I'm going to break all the rules on preaching, if that's okay. I know I went to seminary, but it was a long time ago, I forgot. So, <clears throat> and so I'm gonna tell some stories and end with the verse. It's a reverse sermon, sort of, okay? So I wanna share my story with you just a little bit. I have a couple of stories. So. I'm here to prove that anybody can look respectable in a suit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
My friend Tom and I are opening the clothing store on campus. Just, no, just. So <clears throat> I was raised in a pretty traditional Jewish home. I was a very good Jewish boy. Actually, my grandparents uh, came from uh, Belarus, and my other set of grandparents came from the Ukraine. They settled in the Holy Land, uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York. And that's where uh, I was born, my family raised. My, uh, my grandparents were very Orthodox Jewish people. And uh, to my dying day, my grandmother never ate in our home because we weren't kosher enough. And so she always brought a paper bag, which I thought was strange. But so uh, we were very, very um, uh, involved with the synagogue and so on. And then as the years went by, I went from being good Jewish boy to bad Jewish boy. And uh, I was pretty, good, pretty bad, and, uh, but I, I was in New York City. It was a great place to grow up. Anybody here like riding subways? It's changing between cars. You know, it's, you take your life in your hands, but it's fun. You know, it's good. And uh, so I was raised in New York City, and then uh, my parents kidnapped me when I was 15 and moved me to New Jersey. I woke up came back from summer, a Jewish, Orthodox Jewish summer camp to a new home in New Jersey where there were no subways. And so I was pretty bored, so I took up other sports, uh, like drugs. <laughs> so eventually, uh, Though I had done pretty well in high school, I, I they let me graduate because I, I sort of declined in my academic abilities and, <clears throat> and went to college and actually majored something, you probably don't have this at Northwestern, I majored in unregistered pharmacy. <laughs> and and, and I, I minored in marketing. I was very successful <laughs> and retired when I was 18 and a half. <laughs> and my good friend Ephraim Goldstein, that's a Swedish, Norwegian, a Swedish name. So my good friend Ephraim Goldstein and uh, another friend decided to go out to the only place in the world you can continue a good business like we had and sort of find the answers to life and all that. So. Uh, we went all the way from the Northeast to Minneapolis. No, I'm just kidding. We went all the way to San Francisco. So some of you are looking for a flower in my hair. I was not that kind of hippie. <laughs> and uh, I was there for the fun, not the protests. And so uh, life went, went by pretty well, and we actually built a houseboat in San Francisco. All I can tell you is that it did float. One day, the building inspector, he just had a bad attitude towards us. He came out on his, his motorboat and said, who's the architect here? Where are your plans? We all pointed to one another. We were five Jewish guys from, from New York, and we had never even seen a set of plans. We just, we built, we, we explained it to him. It, it was a work of art. It was just, it was creative. And he says, your studs are too far apart. What's a stud? Anyway, so we, so we, uh, he condemned our houseboat. We left thousands of dollars of wood floating on Sausalito Bay, and we moved into a four-bedroom house with 18 other people. The rent was cheap. <laughs> and 
life began taking some interesting turns, and this was about 1970, all of you remember those years. And so it was 1970, and those were interesting years because there was a lot going on in society. I know we, we always think things are new, but, but, but there was a lot going on, a lot of anti-war protests and things like that. And sort of in the middle of everything was this thing called the Jesus Movement. But being raised so Jewish, I didn't know who Jesus was, and I definitely didn't know what the Jesus Movement was, and I never read Christianity Today or any other Christian magazines. And so we just met these Jesus freaks on the streets, and I liked to harass them. It was fun. And I uh, never hit any of them, but came close a few times. They were very obnoxious, actually, until I became one of them. So my, my good friend, Joni, uh, went up uh, to, uh, to go to some kind of festival or something in Oregon. And on her way, she got picked up hitchhiking, uh, which is a free ride, in case you don't know about hitchhiking. And, uh, but don't tell your parents I told you. So, so they, she got picked up by two on-fire, born-again Christian ex-bikers who had been saved for about two weeks. <laughs> so they knew a lot. They got her in the car, and they had never gone to a chosen people ministry seminar on how to sensitively share the gospel with Jewish people. So she just turned around and said, so honey, are you saved? Great way to start a conversation. And my friend Joni said, no. She figured it was something religious, though she didn't know what it meant. And she said, no, I'm Jewish. Well, that was all this woman needed. She turned around and said, you're Jewish. We love Jewish people. We've got the Bible from Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish. We've got everything from the Jewish people. We love you. So she was trying to jump at 70 miles an hour. And they then told her the gospel. They talked to her for about 13 hours, but they only had about a half hour of information. So it went on and on. Finally, Joni accepted Jesus just to get them to stop talking. <laughs> and she moved in with them at this Christian commune. And then the next thing you know, I'm getting letters about how wonderful Jesus is, which, you know, uh, I'm so glad she didn't have Twitter at the time. Anyway, so, so she eventually came down to share the good news with me and my friend Ephraim. And she did it in, in, again, a very Jesus freaky, sensitive way. She, she got me and Ephraim in a room and said, sit down, I've got some good news to tell you. So I thought, you know, new drug, something good. <laughs> and she, she looked at me and she said, Mitch, Ephraim, you're both going to hell. <laughs> now, I, I didn't really believe in hell, so it didn't bother me. And I said, that, that wasn't a nice thing to say. She says, well, you don't have to go to hell if you believe in Jesus. I said, that makes me upset. My grandmother, after I became a believer, said, you became a Christian? We left Russia because of the Christians who were persecuting the Jews at that time. Those are called pogroms, and it's true. Jewish people blame the Holocaust on Christianity. You have to understand how deep the rift is. It's a huge chasm. So when you're talking to a Jewish friend, they have no clue as to what you really believe. And so I had no clue as to what she believed. I'm not sure she had a clue of what she believed. And so Ephraim 
you know, who I felt had done one too many drugs, and his brains were falling out of his ears. So Ephraim said, wow, this sounds really great. So he went up to Oregon, to this commune in Coos Bay, Oregon. Anybody here from Coos Bay? Didn't think so. so. So he went up to Oregon. Next thing I know, they're both sending me letters, and I found out they were praying behind my back. And so <laughs> I had a real job working for the Marin County Board of Education as an outdoor educational specialist. Meant so I was a camp counselor, which was the only thing I could get hired to do. I was 18 and a half. I had no job experience other than my cash business. And so, so I went up to Oregon to save them. And all they did was smile all the time. It drove me nuts as a New Yorker. You know, as a Jewish New Yorker, I couldn't get anybody to fight with me. <laughs> I said the most outrageous things. They said, oh, that's a great idea, Mitch. And they smiled, and I said, they're all drugged. They're, they're really at, at, at bent out of shape. And the old guy who was running the place, who was a tugboat captain for Weyerhaeuser, making sure that people didn't steal logs on the Coos River, it's an interesting character, and he had a long, long beard without a mustache, and so he looked like a cross between an Amish person and an Orthodox Jew. And, uh, but he was very kind, and, uh, and they, they sensed that God had called them to love and feed hippies and tell them about Jesus. So I was fine with the love and feeding part. Food was great. And so he said, you need to just read it in your own book. There we go. I said, yeah, you're right. It's my book. And he said, yeah, it's right. It's, he, he held it up and he said, yeah, you know, the thick part's yours. I said, you're darn right, the thick part's mine. So <laughs> what are you doing with my Bible? Jews don't know. Christians read the Old Testament. So I said, okay, I will start. So I started reading my Bible, the older part, which we don't call it the older part. You know why? Because there's no new part, according to Jewish people. So I was reading the older part, and I loved it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all my heroes were there because I was raised very religious. So I loved these guys. They were my Jewish heroes, but I had never, ever realized that what made them great was their relationship with God. And I compared their relationship with God in the Bible with my friend's relationship with God through Jesus, and I was getting a little spooked. And so one day, after I was back from Oregon, I went back down to my job in uh, south of San Francisco in the middle of the Redwood Forest, and I asked God a question. I said, if you're real, show me, and show me how to get to you. Because that's really the Jewish question. How do I get there? So that night, one of my kids was homesick. I brought him to the one camp, campground phone, and there was a phone booth there. If you don't know what a phone booth is, look it up in Wikipedia or watch reruns of Ms. Doctor Who. So, <laughs> so I stood there at the phone booth, and there on the ledge, instead of a phone book, again, Wikipedia, instead of a phone book, there was a book called Good News for Modern Man. And I picked it up, I looked at it, it had weird chapter names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those people. I said, what is this? And then I looked, and they had little stick figures, and they had one little stick figure with long hair like me, and uh, in this little book, and for some reason I said, that looks like Jesus. And uh, it, it was their attempt at Jesus. 
<laughs> and so I stole the New Testament, basically. <laughs> and I began reading it, and I discovered two things. And maybe you've discovered it already, too. Maybe you teach this at Northwestern, because I, I, I didn't know it. Number one, Jesus never celebrated, celebrated Christmas. Thank you. He celebrated Hanukkah, same time of year. He never celebrated Easter. He celebrated Passover a number of times throughout the Gospels. And all of a sudden, my whole idea of, being, of Jesus being the God of the Gentiles who persecuted the Jews was breaking down because he was obviously Jewish. Then all of a sudden, I realized that this spiritual tug of war that I was having because I didn't want to believe what my friends believe, because if I did, I'd have to tell my mother, and that would oh, terrible, it would be a mess. And so, I started finding myself believing in Jesus. Not only believing that he was the Messiah, but even believing he was God in the flesh. And it was about two days later that I accepted Jesus, but I didn't know what to do. I had no idea how to accept Jesus. My friends were away. I was with all University of UC Berkeley biologists, none of whom were Christians, and I didn't know what to do. So one day I was on a hike along the Pacific Ocean, and all I could think about was Jesus, and I sort of hollered up to heaven, and I said, okay. <laughs> it wasn't exactly a sinner's prayer. I said, okay. And then, lo and behold, the miracle started. My life began transforming. I started changing from the inside out. And to be truthful, one morning I woke up and I, so, I sort of expected to not be Jewish anymore because that's the way I was raised. And I began feeling actually more Jewish than ever because now I really knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a real person to me. The prophets were real. And I realized that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah for everybody. And that's been almost 50 years. But then, I had to tell my mother, this was not gonna be easy. So I went back to uh, New Jersey, and uh, I was a, now a, a saved, long-haired, hippie, ex-drug user and dealer. And um, I knocked on the door, my mother takes a look at me, and she says, oh, you're home, how wonderful. I said, yes. Yeah. She says, for how long? I said, I don't know, maybe for a while. And she said, everything okay? I said, wonderful. She says, you look skinny, come eat. <laughs> so I sat down to eat, and my father came down, and my mother said, so what are you gonna do now? I said, I'm going back to college, and every Jewish mother's nightmare, a dropout, you know? And so I said, I'm going back to college. She says, where are you gonna go? I said, Northeastern Bible College. She said, once again? I said, Northeastern Bible College because I was already enrolled. I, was a, I, knew, I, I knew what I was doing. I was a believer for five months. And <laughs> nobody was willing to disciple me, so they all recommended Bible college. So, I, so my mother looks at me and says, what's a Bible college? I said, no, I didn't really even know. I said, well, mom, it's, it's where you study the Bible. You can major in Bible, it's really cool. And she said, well, what do you do when you graduate from Bible college? Do you become a rabbi? I said, that may not work out. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. And then she said, so what, what is it? I said, so I, I took out my, my training. 
And I looked at my mom and my dad, and I said, Mom, Dad, you're both going to hell. <laughs> Did I do it wrong? I said, but if you believe in Jesus, coming back any second, honestly, if you believe in Jesus, then you don't have to go to hell. Good news. I thought my mom would believe, my dad would believe, my sisters would believe. We'd be one happy family in Jesus, you know? My mom said, you can't tell your sisters, you can't tell your grandparents, you can't read that. You can't go to church, you can't read the New Testament in our house, and no crosses. I don't know where she got the crosses from, what I was gonna do with crosses. So I said, can I have one, one moment to explain what I believe? She says, you got one shot. That night, I told my mother about Jesus using Isaiah 53, which was my, my, my greatest canon, and uh, she fell asleep. <laughs> I woke her up, I said, how could you fall asleep? This is so exciting. She said, you told me, that's it, don't tell me again. My mother was a woman of her words. Took 35 years for her to let me tell her about Jesus again. She shut me down again. Then she was diagnosed with colon cancer, fourth stage. And my mom was in the process of dying, late 60s. And even though I was shattered and I just couldn't believe she could get saved, we had every, everybody began praying. And I'm the one who really needed the prayer so I could believe that my mom could even come to faith. And one day I, knocked on the door of my sister's home. My mom was taking significant chemotherapy. And the door was opened by her home health care attendant, who my sisters had raved about. I took one look at this woman, and I knew she was a Christian. She just glowed. I really wanted that glow, too. I never quite glowed. But she glowed. And as we walked in, I just, it was very unprofessional, but I thought I would just ask. So I said, uh, Dominique, are you a Christian? And she looked at me and she said, Mitch, I'm a born again, on fire, Haitian Baptist. And I said, but you came, we didn't recommend you, did we? She said, no, I came from the regular uh, healthcare agency. I said, you know, we're believers too. She said, I know. So I said, oh, I felt good because I thought I was glowing also. She said, I know, I see all the stuff you left in your mother's bathroom, all the tracks and the books. And I said, do you witness to my mother? And she said, in my own way all the time, and I pray for her. My mom lasted about four or five months, and in the hospital, my wife and Dominique were talking to my mom, and I was watching them takes two to visit a Jewish person in a hospital because you need one person to divert the family and the other one to talk to the patient. And so they were talking to her, and I was talking to my sisters, and I saw them engaging with my mom who could barely talk. My wife came over and she said, I asked your mom if she believed in Jesus. I said, why'd you do that? I would rather not know. That way I would have hope. And she said, my wife said, I asked her if she believed in God. She smiled, squeezed my hand, and said yes. And then I asked her if she believed in Jesus. She smiled, she squeezed my hand, and she said yes. My mom is in heaven.
There's no person, Jew or Gentile, who is beyond the reach of Almighty God. Until the last breath, there's an opportunity for them to come to faith. Now, how did it happen? For my friends and for me, it came through these Gentile Christians who loved us. For my mom, it came from a humble Haitian Baptist who considered working with dying Jewish people as her ministry, not her profession. What, did that, what was it in common? Well, let me read it. Paul said, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, the Jewish people, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, the national rejection of Jesus at the first coming, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do you know this verse? How many Gentiles do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. If, if you know you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, so just, okay. So salvation has come to the Gentiles, but it doesn't end there. Paul then says, to make them jealous through their life, through their words, and through their love. May God use you as you finish your program at Northwestern, as you go into your careers in graduate school, as you meet more and more Jewish people. May God use you to make Jewish people so jealous of what you have that they come to believe in Jesus too. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you to consider the eternally weighty and important matter of salvation. And as our brother prayed before, we thank you for our relationship with you. And we thank you that we have this oneness in Christ. But Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. Lord, you leave us on this earth in order to minister. And Lord, we pray, especially right now, for the Jewish community. We pray for our Jewish friends. Some of us have Jewish family. We pray that you might use us, that through our love and our life, in our words, that Jewish people might become jealous enough to receive you as their Lord and Savior. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.